Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrive, treats me like commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. This guy's singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and everything that relates to it, um, and remembering that value only exists in the minds of your customer. Today, I am thrilled to have Ken Flood, who is uh, a new acquaintance and rapidly becoming a um, a friend because we are kindred spirits in, in many of the things we talk and think about. Ken, welcome. It's great to be here, and thank you for the invitation. Really Ken, yeah, oh man, I'm I'm thrilled to have you. So Ken uh, lives in the UK and uh, makes his home there, and has been a consultant and an expert in sales, but in uh, change management. So I, I'm really glad that to bring your outside of sales perspective into the sales and selling and marketing world. Sure, that, that that's uh, there are uh, important. I think there are important crossovers and lessons, and there are important competencies. I think, Mark, that um, uh, I, I I used in 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 the profession of consulting that I think have you know really really important implications and uh, and value to contribute to uh, some of the challenges we're now facing. Yeah, you know. Um... It, at, when I was uh, with the big sales training company, we used to say that you're not a salesperson in, in your world, in our world, where we're selling a complex uh, consensus decision. Uh, try not to think of yourself as a salesperson as much as a change management agent. So you, sure. have, to, you have to understand your customer's organization, their world, uh, how they make decisions, how they do things, and the interruption factor both for good and for bad that yep. your proposed change brings and yep. to facilitate that group getting through the desire to achieve the good and desire and capability to deal with the interruption factor and the bad. Because sure. yep. uh, even if what you're selling is only a little bit better than what they're doing now, it probably doesn't overcome the the PETA factor, the pain in the butt factor uh, of, of change, right? The, the, the cost and risk of change. So you have to be, you have to be over and above that uh, in order to, to, to effectively make a sale. Um, And so that aspect of change management is very core to, to what each of us think about sales. Sure. And 
one of the fundamental questions that I think most most process consultants, because that's what we we call ourselves, process consultants. It wasn't anything to do with peas or you know anything like that, but it was to do with the process of how to move from A to B. Um, this this is how you how you bring change about, and um, it, it was formulaic and there was a recipe there, but the really key question I think that needed to be addressed almost to begin with was well what do we want, um, not, not 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 what do we want as a consultant, but what does the client what does the organisation want, and um, and often often that was the most difficult question to to answer. In, in, in a precise way, yeah. because people have an idea of what they want, and um, but they often come at it from different perspectives. And so, yeah. you know, some are looking at a six and others are looking at a nine. And it really, it's, it's often about putting a frame of reference, uh, helping, helping customers to our clients to develop a frame of reference that allows them to move to a common perspective, if that makes sense. Yes. And I'm absolutely. sure you, you've had experienced that yourself, really, uh, in, you know, professionally in selling. Yeah. Um, so let me do a little bit of, uh, of expectation setting with the audience. Um, you and I both really concentrate on a certain sub-segment within business-to-business -business selling. Uh, if you take the broad sweep of all B2B selling, there is a whole bunch of it, a third to a half. Uh, the majority, if you listen to some uh, consultants or thought leaders, that where the customer self-informs, self-informs perfectly, knows exactly what they want, and then they invite a salesperson in. Sure. So I, we, I call that the late entry point. Yeah. That means you go through the entire customer buying process and the salesperson enters your buying process late. Yes. And in that case, uh, it's very transactional. Uh, the customer is trying to come up to speed on everything you've decided you want rather than trying to help you understand what you want and perhaps possibly shaping it. So True. you and I live at the other end, the early entry point yes. sales. Uh, where things are more complex, your customer is less certain that they know all about what they want to buy. So they're looking for an expert some from somebody. And it may or may not be your salesperson. They may hire a consultant. They may look for some free consulting from some salespeople. So that's kind of where you and I uh, mentally spend our, our time. And you know where, where my consulting all is, is that early entry point uh, and I call it the trusted advisor sale uh, or the early, early entry point sale. So I uh, just want to kind of level set for everybody that that's what we're talking about. So when you, as an audience member, you hear that 57% of the buying process happens before we invite a salesperson. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the reality is it's not a it, it's not a bell-shaped curve with its its high point at 57%. It is a flat in, uh, a flat distribution. Actually, it's pretty front-weighted. 21% of all customers ask for a salesperson to come in and talk to them while they before they've even decided to generate alternatives. It's while they're what what Ken calls buyer discovery. They're, self, they're on a journey of self-discovery, understanding what I need, what outcomes that I'm looking for, 
who all should be involved, where should scope for this project begin and end, right? Just how big and broad, because inevitably tentacles of this solution might stretch throughout my entire corporation, but I can't make my buying decision the entire corporation. So how do I limit my thinking? Who do I, who's in, who's out? Uh, who should we consult? Who should we occasionally consult? Who should we never consult? And that whole part of the process, 21% of the time, your customers are, some some companies' customers invite salespeople in on that. Sure. And, and it's, inter it's interesting, it's interesting just to, to, to stay with that because uh, you, you, we're going back and, and using that term biodiscovery and you say really on, 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 on that one, Mark, well, what, typically what, what might a buyer's objectives or what might a buyer's challenges be with biodiscovery? And, and let me just share some of, those, some of those with you. It starts, the first thing is, well, what is the problem? And of course, we're talking here about buyers who are not who are not systems analysts, so they're not they're not technical people, and so they're relying purely on what they know or how they've been briefed, usually internally, or what they've picked up on their buying network or whatever it might be, or however this this initiative has taken has taken root. But they're asking first of all, well what's the problem and and they're at that sort of level of the problem before they start thinking about solutions and then they get into the solutions and they're thinking well you know how do i differentiate the value between well what, what is what is the distinctive value between these different solutions i have no idea i mean what is the what does this actually mean and so again, there's no expertise there. Um, we're, we're, to, we're talking about complex, complex things, and yeah. these are real. And then there's a third challenge too, Mark, that is really, I think, rooted in, I think the, the the complexity of 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 the number of stakeholders that are involved in a typical in a typical initiative, a buying initiative these days. I mean, Gartner said there, are, there can be as many as thirteen people, but but certainly there are multiple people and and different disciplines involved there. And so the buyer has how do how do I keep these people with me because some of them are there because of their technical expertise and some of them are there there's all sorts of reasons why they're there but it's a real challenge about well how do i keep them with me on the journey here because part of what buyer discovery is about is getting to a point where something is going to be signed off and i don't mean the decision i mean <laughs> the the initiative because yeah. they're trying to scope it, and I think that that's what's going on, uh, and I think that that's where that's where the right approach from from a seller perspective can really be very powerful. Yeah, um, CSO Insights and then Sales Mastery developed uh, uh, an idea that the earlier those early entry point sales yep. happen when your customer has a, a, a mindset or a challenge. And that is there's five aspects uh, and in some combination. This yep. thing that I'm thinking of, this initiative is new to me. Yep. It's new to my company. It's risky to me. Risk, yes. It's risky to my company, right? There's some personal risk. There's some yep. company risk. Or it's just plain complex. 
And there's yeah. a lot of people that, that, so we're, it's getting so there's some social complexity and anybody who's made a decision in a big company around, around a, a conference room uh, knows that there is social risk just to speak up and advocate. Sure. Right. Even if you think we should do something, it's convenient for you to just shut up and hope the group is going to decide on it. And you don't have to go on the record as having been an advocate for anything. Absolutely. Um, so the more of those and the stronger those characteristics, new, risky to me and my company complexity, the more likely it is that people need are, are going to invite somebody in from the outside to help them scope their decision. Because what typically happens in those kind of situations is the customer is not able to just go out on the internet and self-inform and expect and develop a list of criteria and expected outcomes. Because some domain expert will come in and say, did you ever know that some companies who implement this could actually achieve an outcome over here in this part of your company that you weren't thinking of? Um, yeah. A real common one with many type of solutions is a risk mitigation outcome. Mm. And we weren't going to have somebody from risk management or from legal yeah. in on the decision. Sure. But if, if a medical product reduces readmission or redu reduces complication rates, um, you're darn right that somebody from legal is going to actually help that entire group uh, of people who are struggling to make a decision get off high center in a hurry. If yes. this is gonna, if this is gonna save us twenty million dollars in potential lawsuits, yes, we're gonna we're going to make a decision. We're gonna do something. And yeah. normally, normal sellers wouldn't even think to include that risk manager. So, understanding who all is affected and helping somebody broaden their perspective of what the scope is of your yes. problem. Yes. Uh, helping the customer self-define their own problem. I think that's, that's a huge thing. You know, in, we used to, uh, uh, at, the, at the sales training company, it was, you know, we taught it as find out all the people who are affected and yes. get these half dozen pieces of information from everybody about everybody and then get people to coalesce around your decision by moving the chess pieces around that existing board and the true masters of that knew that these are the people who I have to add to the team. Sure. The team didn't, didn't put that, nobody in the company put them on the team, but my solution really calls for a person outside of the team to be added to the team or to voice it, to move the team off of high center. And, sure. you know, I would have these, these discussions with uh, people in the sales training company and they'd say, well, yeah, that's, that's compatible because it's just get the name, the people on the team and, and find out what their needs are and, and um, let the interplay happen. But there was, is, there's never that purposeful, hey, my differentiation calls for us to add this person. Sure. It's really interesting, this, uh, Mark, you know, just again, going back to my particular experience in change management and consultancy because often there was a a team of stakeholders that would would be the team at large for example the, the, let's call it the Gartner 13 uh, or, or whatever but there was a core team and this was the buying team 
And the objective was for a consultant to be a part of that buying team. And that, that was, and the scoping process that you were talking about was about selecting who should be part of that team. And so the process in general would be to find and be clear about who the sponsor was at a senior level, the, the roadblock clearer, and, and, and to, to, then, to then get that team assembled, that core team of, and it would normally just, just be four or five key people who would report back to the larger team and, and, and really be a project team. So there's a lot of important lessons from project management here that we need to capture and use in, because it's one of the core competences now in, in these complex, in complex selling, it yeah. is. Ken, I want to stop what you said, right? You you had the Gartner 13 of people who are affected, but you had four or five who are yeah. like the, the heavy lift doers. And Absolutely. so many times as sellers, we think the team is the four or five, yeah, not the 12 or 13, <clears throat> and certainly not number 15, who the customer didn't self-inform to realize that number 15 should really be one of the five. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and and generally, Mark, the way that it happened was this, if I can give you a sort of a generic uh, approach, this is the way, uh, the way a consultant would be thinking about it. Now, let's, let's be clear here. We're not advocating, we're not advocating that professional salespeople need to be consultants because they're not. Um, they, they, they don't have, they, they don't get paid to do consultant discovery for a start. So, you know, there's, there's all sorts of pressures there, but this is the way a consultant would think about it. The consultant would want to, first of all, do what they call bottom-up discovery. So they, they won't want to get to the cold face or the chalk face as quickly as possible and have meetings really to get a feel for who was who and where they were and who should be part of that core team. It would define the stakeholders, of course, because all of the stakeholders would be involved, but they would be thinking, who are, who are the movers and shakers here? Who need, what are the specialisms required here? Who needs to be part of the process? Because later in this process, when we get past to the end of discovery, there's a presentation to the wider stakeholder community here, which will really, I think, we're going for sign off on this. You know, it's, it's, that's, we, we want to everyone's seeing the problem from the same perspective and we want them to understand what the potential solutions are and then later as a, as an additional stage to that you would have what we would call the vision match session and and of course in the absence of a consultant the seller has to facilitate and and has has a significant value and it can't be understated this the seller has a significant value to the buyer if i can use that term we're talking about our key contact the center of that core team um you know the coordinator of that core team um huge advantage because we're lifting that burden that you referred to earlier on about risk and, and that personal risk as well as everything else and we're, we're actually we're actually taking that and, and it's a safe place to be because the expertise there we're coordinating we're guiding we're facilitating 
and those sort of skills are really pertinent for today's for, for today's interactions very definitely key skills project management facilitation yep so you and i have gone back and forth you know i talk about a trusted advisor sale uh yep. stepping in to to fill that consultant gap and you're very clear uh, that salespeople aren't and cannot be consultants. But you just said something that <laughs> yeah. this is the idealized role of the consultant yep. and a salesperson within the economic and time constraints of being a salesperson and a quota carrying person has to approximate that role as much as commercially feasible. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, let's let's just let's just uh, do a quick comparison here because um, you know, first of all, a, a, a consultant, a salesperson is not is not independent. A salesperson is biased, naturally biased towards their solution, and and that's understandable and it's right and it's it's what the organization pays them to be, and so th- that's potentially an issue. Uh, because, for 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 example, the consultant may also be biased. The consultant may be may be biased, you know, to particular providers. But in general terms, the the advantage of having a consultant is that they'll get on the bullseye. They'll get the problem, the, the needs identification, the problem, the problem identification, absolutely right on the bullseye. And they won't end up with the wrong solution. And what we're saying here is that, right, that's what the value to a buyer and to an organization of a paid consultant is. We're saying it can also be the value of a seller uh, to, 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 to the organization. But the only constraint we have is that sellers are not getting paid to do the consulting even though it, they will need to do it. Because you, I know you've spoken on other podcasts before about the problem when you're limiting your, your, your insight to, to, the, to the bias perceptions only. If you're not, if you're not able to get into, into the, you know, into the, into the, down to the cold face, call it that, and really understand for yourself where the value is because that's what we're doing in discovery we're quantifying value uh, and 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 um value for the client value for value for 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 the for the vendor so we're saying there's a there's a lot of work there and we're limited uh, as to how much time we can put into that so so there are real constraints yeah there's another constraint too actually mark because Personally, I I don't I don't really have a huge oh well I don't I don't go with this trust or advisor role. I'll tell you why because I think that there's going to be multiple vendors in most of these complex and and I think that the issue is about you differentiate yourself from the other players who are going to be there because you're going to be there by invitation and there's likely to be more than more than one vendor invited into that and it's how you handle yourself when you get into that situation that i think is really key and yeah um yeah, yeah. 
I, I'm I'll I'll buy that. So I'm, I'm maybe a little defensive of my trusted advisor, but uh, you're not the only trusted advisor, but you are a trusted advisor. Uh, Gartner has said that only three percent of salespeople rise to the level of being a trusted advisor. So by trying to just be one one of or a trusted advisor the probability is that you are going to be the only by default you're the only one because only three percent of sellers meet that standard please join us next week for part two of this conversation with ken flood this is mark boundy with the value clarity podcast where we remind you that value only exists in your customer's mind so sales marketing is a lot like brain surgery Take care. Have a high-value day. Well, it ain't easy, because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, because you'll be singing those old don't-know-value-blue. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.